Hi, I'm Doug DeVries and I practice in Sparks, Nevada. Uh, my practice is really limited to ocular surface disease and treatment. Uh, and uh, I'm joined here today, we're gonna talk about uh, MGD today. And I'm joined here by my, my good friend, Walt Whitley. Walt, it's good to have you with you. Why don't you tell folks a little bit about yourself? Well, hey, thanks for having me here, Doug. Uh, I practice at Virginia Eye Consultants in Norfolk, Virginia. We're a tertiary referral care practice and I help oversee the dry eye clinic there. Right. You ready to talk about MGD? Let's do it. Okay. What is MGD? MGD, meibomian gland dysfunction. Okay. So the glands within the eyelids, they're not functioning properly, oftentimes due to hyperkeratinization. So an obstruction of the glands within the eyelids that secrete the outer layer of the tears. And so when we're younger and uh, we do have normal oils coming out, each time we blink, we know that the lipids are going across the surface, replenishing and protecting the surface. But we do know that over time, and there's numerous risk factors that can contribute to the obstruction of these glands or the hyperkeratinization that does, uh, does, does occur, whether it's due to contact lenses, changes in hormones, digital devices, I can go on and on. Uh, but this MGD, it's part of dry eye, and it's, it's part of ocular surface disease that we always have to consider whenever our patients are talking about burning, stinging, changes in vision. And so those are just some of the symptoms they have. Well, how prevalent is it then? Well, it depends. What study did you read lately? So uh, some studies say 3%, other studies say up to about 70% of patients do have MGD. And so we know from the tfos dues 2 uh, report that was uh, several years ago that you know up to five to 50% of patients have dry eye. But one of the key takeaways that I took from that is we have to look at both forms. MGD does contribute to the evaporative component of dry eye. Uh, so you have to address the lids and the meibomian glands, but you also have to address the aqueous deficient and inflammation for those patients. So it's prevalent. 80% of the time they do overlap and it is very prevalent. Well, you know, and I, I know you and I both feel the same that everybody's on this physiologic continuum yeah. and it, whether they're aqueous deficient, they're evaporative, there's a component of both and it depends on the physiological spectrum, how, who develops what, when, yeah. uh, but, and I think the case we make with that is that uh, Sjogren's patient. Yeah. Have you seen a Sjogren's patient with good meibomian glands? Never. I'm waiting. <laughs> I'm still <laughs> waiting too, I'm still waiting too. <laughs> so let's talk about diagnosis and when we actually get down to, you know, uh, what can clinicians do to really make that diagnosis of meibomian glands? Well, one of the first things is anytime we're evaluating our patients for an eye exam, whether it's comprehensive or medically, uh, medical in nature, is we have to look at the lids, right? Because patients are coming to us for comfort and quality of vision. Uh, they may have other uh, comorbidities that they may present for, but what we need to do is always look at the so lids. So you would say meibomian gland dysfunction is obvious? Yes, well, not obvious. <laughs> Try to get me on a trick question. It's only not obvious if you don't look. Thank you. And so, you know, look at the lids, lift the lids, push the lids, you have to express it, because if you don't know what type of contents are, and that's one of the things that we always talk about and challenge uh, whenever we're doing our, our lectures to the audience is making sure you're expressing what is normal mybum. Is it inspissated? It's nothing coming out. And if that's, that's the case, then we know there's a problem with the function of the glands and something that we need to address. So when we're looking at the mybum and the quality of the mybum, mm -hmm. then we're looking at the function, the function of the oil, the function of the mybomian glands. That's good. Yeah. Uh, so what do we do about the structure? Well, the structure, we wanna know what that patient is. So for me, I always have a baseline image of those meibomian glands. I wanna show the patient, hey, this is what your glands look like today and something we're gonna monitor over time. 
but you'd be surprised, I know you've seen this as well, we have patients that have never had myography done before, maybe they're coming in for diabetes and diabetic eye exam, but I wanna at least have a baseline of their of my bombing glands, and we'll see 50% dropout, 80% dropout, or whatever it may be, but I'm showing the patient, you know, this concerns me, these are your glands, this is the structure of the glands, and we don't want this to get worse. So we have to address the function. So if I can stresses. read between the lines with you, mm -hmm. if you're looking at a patient with dry eyes, yep. that should be imaged. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I agree. I, I, I really feel that uh, mybography is kind of the snell and visual acuity of dry eye. Yep. The, the, your baseline, like you said, you have to establish what, is it, what does it look like? What does the structure look like? You know, a lot of people will say if the structure's good, you don't have to do anything. Do you believe in that? No. If the structure's good, it's something we still have to monitor. Yeah. I still recommend, just like uh, you, you know, the dentist tells people to floss, right? I tell patients, hey, you need this heat mask. I always say a heat mask, never a warm compress because a washcloth does not stay hot long enough. And so we know we can get sustained heat for five, 10 minutes uh, when you're prescribing a mask, whichever one you feel is best. Okay, yeah, so we're looking at structure, we're looking at function, and when you talk about warm compress, so warm compress, and I, I'm assuming you're meaning a moist warm compress right. that has some yeah. way to hold the moisture? Yeah, moist-based heat is essentially yeah. what I'm using for for my patients, but I want to give them something versus uh, versus them just, oh, I'll just use a washcloth. We know that that's not effective. It's yeah. messy, it doesn't stay hot. Well, tell me about uh, you know how you feel that the lid hygiene fits into that. Hey, it's just like, do you, do you use soap? Do you use shampoo? I mean, it's something you need to do, right? We have shampoo for our hair, soap for our bodies, but you need something to clean the lids. And so I often go with sprays. I go with hypochlorous acid. I make that part of the daily routine for our patients. If I'm seeing blepharitis or, you know, cholerates, whatever it may be, I may use specific lid scrubs on there to remove that. Uh, if it's significant amount, then I'm actually gonna manually do it and tell the patient, hey, you need a, a treatment, it's called microblepharoxfoliation. And what we can do is we can manually remove this because how often they had a patient comes in with two plus blep or scurf or whatever it may be, you prescribe lid scrubs, what do they look like when they come back in a week or two? They look like the same lids. That's right, that's right. And so uh, find a more effective ways to treat that. Yeah. So when we're looking, I mean, we have to look at different treatment op options, but uh, you know, in, in my practice, I do consider, you know, cleaning up the lids, mm -hmm. you know, looking at the, uh, at the mybum. I mean, that's all base warm compress to me. That's like, that's a must uh, baseline type of treatment. Do you feel the same way? Oh, definitely. So every, every single time that's part of lid hygiene. Yes. Keep them clean, but also the heat. And so just like flossing, that's something you need to do to maintain the health of the eye. So that would be at the beginning. I mean, just the beginning stages of meibomian gland, that's what you that's what you'd look is clean the lids, heating the lids, trying to keep them uh, keep those meibomian glands patent. That, that's the foundation, yes. Okay. Uh, so when we take a look at uh, you know that baseline patient, uh, then we need to take a look at uh, you know other treatments that uh, that might be available, and let's let's take a look at that. You mentioned microblepharoxfoliation, uh, and certainly that is uh, you know for those who aren't familiar, microblepharoxfoliation uh, is a device that uh, this uh, little uh, soft tip on the uh, the end of this device rotates at about 2,500 RPM, and then you use some type of surfactant cleaner. Uh, so. You know, with microblepharoxfoliation, about five minutes to do both lids or both eyes, yeah. all lids. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and you mentioned some of those candidates. Uh, this, I mean, what you're doing is you're cleaning off the biofilm, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. When, when you're removing a biofilm, 
You know, I always like to think of the dental analogy when before we started removing the biofilm from the teeth and gums, mm -hmm. it was severe gum disease and tooth loss by the age of 50. Yep, yep. And so definitely something that we need to make, uh, make and offer to our patients because yes, we're gonna do the treatment, but letting the patient know this is something that is gonna come back, and so we have to maintain the health, and it's one effective way to do that. You know, and we, we talked about, you know, talked about the keratinization uh, of the lids. Uh, you know, there could be keratinization, it could actually be just solidified myobomb that have, and it doesn't really matter, we have to remove it. So some of the some of the keratolytic uh, treatments that are being developed, what kind of problems do you think those hold? They're, they're really exciting right now. And so being uh, able to see some of the early studies on that, taking the dermatological approach and using a treatment which is just twice a week, right? So you do it on a Sunday, you do the next treatment maybe three or four days later. But what it does is could help increase the lipogenesis, so it's increase the lipid potentially, it's not approved yet. Uh, I can get into the gland itself and, and break up any obstruction that's going on. And so something that is gonna, that may potentially be another treatment for us going forward. So future treatments, but we know microbluffle exfoliation available, has been available for years, uh, works quite well. Uh, where else do you use microbluffle exfoliation? So uh, for those patients, I mean, we do it frequently within cataract surgery. And so for our, for our, our patients, uh, one of my partners, Liz Yu. And so anytime a patient comes in, that's just part of their treatment is say, hey, you need this treatment. We're preparing your, your lids and we're playing, preparing your ocular surface for this procedure. And so she's making that recommendation. Okay. And one area in our practice that we do, and I believe you do too, is before any thermal expression. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. You go ahead and the, that's the precursor to, to that. Uh, so let's talk about automated thermal pulsation. There really, uh, you know, today, Walt, I think there are so many treatments available mm -hmm. that there's no reason for a practice not to incorporate some form of thermal expression mm -hmm. into their practice. But let's talk about the, uh, you know, the one that's been out there the longest, uh, the automated thermal pulsation. Well, it's something that I've had a lot of experience, just like you, was one of the early adopters. I've probably done over 4,000 of those treatments over time. It's something that you know I can confidently you know prescribe to my patients and say, hey, this is what you need. Your glands aren't working well, or the structure. We don't want this to get worse. This concerns me. Well, essentially, it's going to be 12 minutes of heat, right? 108 degrees for 12 minutes. It's uh, vector pulsations, going to squeeze those glands open. Looking at the data, patients feel 50% better on a daily basis. But our goal is also to improve the function of those glands, and so that's why it's such a uh, important procedure and, and beneficial for my patients. Yeah, like you have done thousands of the procedures, and uh, what I like about that procedure is. You put the activator in and then you're gone. Somebody else is, is monitoring and the, the results are very, very consistent. The pressure is consistent, the heat's consistent. You know, I was, I was in a, a meeting earlier today and they were just talking about the thermal pulsation that we know how effective it is by itself, but have you ever done the expression afterwards? A manually express and so that's something that that we've also incorporated within our practice just to evacuate as much of that uh, obstruction so while the lids are still warm you go in and do yeah. some manual thermal express. well uh, then let's talk about semi-automated uh, you know because we have the fully automated vectored thermal pulsation we have semi-automatic uh, pulsation uh, how do you feel about that treatment and 
So that's been exciting and we've incorporated that into the practice uh, several years ago and it's handheld, has a small footprint. Uh, with the with the next generation model right now, we can do imaging of the meibomian glands so I can take pictures. So let's say your office does not have a huge footprint or limited on space, you know, you can do it within the exam room. Take an image of those glands and show this patient, hey, this is what concerns me and this is why I'm recommending this treatment. Uh, looking at the data, David Geffen, you know, he presented or he had a small uh, study looking at patients that uh, 30 patients and within a week, patients were noticing improvement, increase in tear film breakup time by about 71%, improvement in symptoms on both the OSDI and the speed questionnaire. Uh, but it's something that has been a great addition to And those, the, the candidates for that that I find in my practice are, pre are patients that maybe somewhat claustrophobic you know they don't like the idea of the activators being put or very very small uh, small eyes small fissures where it's yep. difficult to yep. get that automated uh, activator in the eye so I think that those are you know and I, I like I like the customizable approach when I'm looking at my biography yeah. and I say you know I really want to focus on these glands right here yeah. and there's no point in squeezing the daylight out of the glands if there's no glands there yeah exactly so customize uh, treatment and so that's something that's been beneficial but not just that doing the video and so now with that next generation while we're doing the procedure, actually we record it, but showing the patient. This is what came out of those glands, and this is why we, we're gonna need to do it again, whether it's six months, a year, or a couple years down the road. Okay, let's talk about uh, intelligent heat and manual expression. So you really have the automated, the semi-automatic, and then the manual. Uh, again, I think one of, the, uh, one of the benefits is that is Eyes are open. I mean, yep. the eyes can be open at all time. What other benefits do you have? With uh, that's definitely eyes are open, and so the patient's going to have the heat for about 15 minutes, about 113 degrees of heat from the external source. So it's going to be outside. Uh, patients, we can do it while the patient's dilating, whether they're, they're looking for their glasses or, or in the optical. Uh, but this is something that we can express those against. We know that uh, we, we're told with some of these thermal pulsation procedures, you know, it works, right? But this way you can actually see the myelin come out. And that's one thing that I learned from uh, our good friend, Tom Chester. He goes, yeah, you know, I can see the myelin coming out and that's why it's been effective for him. Yeah, and, and when we take a look at non-inferiority studies, it's showing that the devices really, there's not a clear separation. I think it really develops on you as a practitioner, what you're going to use. How do you talk to the patient about, and we got three different methods of thermal pulsation. Mm -hmm. How do you address that initially to the patient in telling them they're going to need some type of a mechanical treatment? Well, I tell the patient, hey, this is your issue. You've been suffering from this condition for however long you have. You're looking to us for what the treatment is, and we're, we just showed you your glands. You've lost your glands, we need them working better. When I press on the glands, I'm not getting good myobum coming out. And so this is one of the root causes of your issue. Yes, I may, may need to put you on some anti-inflammatories first, but it, it, we know we have great treatment options for, for dry eye disease and inflammation, but this is to fully treat your eyes, we have to treat the evaporative component, and this is going to be the next step. Yeah, I mean, I like to emphasize to patients, as a doctor, I can't let you continue to lose these, yeah. that we have to step in with a mechanical treatment, because this is damage that's been done from chronic disease process. You know, another treatment that we have available is IPL, intense pulse light. Yeah. 
Uh, that's something that you know I learned a lot from you when it comes to IPL. Uh, but patience, I mean, it is something that we know looking at the, the data itself, it does address the inflammation. Anytime I see patients when I'm looking at those lids, I'm looking for telangiectasia. If I'm seeing that, right away that's going to be my go-to there's numerous studies out there that shows the how it addresses the inflammation but also the symptoms but also and as well as the other clinical signs that associated with dry disease and yeah and and i think when we when we look at ipl uh, you know the fact that the patients are going to drive some cosmetic benefit out of a therapeutic treatment yeah. that's never a downside yeah rough I side mean, effect for patients yeah yeah tough side effect because they get a, get to uh, have but you know so your differentiation is when the patients have telangiectasia. in yes that's exactly how i make my decision if they have them, it's IPL. If not, it's a thermal pulsation or evacuation. I, I've been thrilled that I don't think it's it's not necessarily an either or. I actually combine yeah. and have package uh, package prices for patients that are having the sessions of IPL, and then they follow up immediately. Uh, you know, within the week for thermal pulsation of one of the procedures. Yeah, that might have been something I learned from you. <laughs> might have been. Well, you know, I mean, we've covered an incredible amount of ground in a short amount of time. I mean, we have just taken a tour through my Bomian gland this month. Walt, it's always a pleasure. Yes. Pleasure Thank you mine. very much. Thank you.